Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. experience like uh, i know given the times with covid and everything uh, uh some layoffs are happening but what was that whole experience for you like just a couple of weeks ago pretty shitty yeah yeah uh, happened to me um and you know you can't help but be a little hurt a little sad a little angry um you know and, and it wasn't just me it was like 30 people that day, kind of yeah. worked for me. Um, so I, I feel bad for, for all parties. Um, and it's kind of like the official failure of, you know, journalism at, at Bleacher Report. And, and the anger is that we, ne- you know, we just never really got much of a chance, I don't think. We ran BR Mag for four years without properly taking advantage of what that could have been yeah um so that sucks and you know it's a, been a good paycheck and, and a place that externally seems really cool so there was kind of a lot of like cred that came from saying oh, i work at Bleacher Report. right um so those are all the bad things that the positives are that you know, it's not a great place to, like, it's just a pretty toxic place, and I'm supposed to be a leader, and I never really knew how to lead because I never knew what we were striving for as a company, so there's some relief there, and, you know, to get paid basically for nine months, you know, I mean, I knew that that's what people were getting, and part of me was like, shit, they want to pay me for nine months to go away, like, that sounds pretty good, so... yeah. You know, it, it's like it's not like they got rid of me and what I do is going to be replaced by someone else. Like they got, there. It's never going to be. It's just not going to come back. The, at least you know, text journalism at Bleacher Report is probably done forever. Yeah. And uh, you know, I get some time and money to to decide what to do next. So wow. you know, a mixture of of you know hurt feelings, but also some some relief and as long as I can land something the next spring um, you know at that point it would be probably you know no hard feelings yeah and did, did they give you like what was the official reason behind it like what you just said kind of like moving out of like what they were originally trying to do there well yeah I mean basically like the guy that fired me has more or less been my boss for about 18 months and and you know if you're gonna have 
relatively expensive editors and writers, which we did. You know, it wasn't cheap to run BR Mag and when travel was allowed, we spent a lot on travel. Like, you know, it was real, it, it, was, it was real stuff. If you're gonna do that, then you should make it look beautiful on your website. Yeah. You should have salespeople selling it at a premium. Um, but the sad truth was that it wasn't really, didn't really look different or earn different than the absolute worst shit that we run. Um, and we can create kind of aggregated text content super cheap. I mean, that's what Bleacher Report was built on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was just like, as you know, we haven't given this thing the resources to make it really succeed, which makes it inefficient. So, you know, they can get page views on bad text content very, very cheaply. My stuff was was relatively expensive, so. Wow. And for, for you as an editor-in-chief, like, what were some of the things that you tried to steer away from when it came to everyone's pieces on something, or I guess your own piece on something? Like, were there, like, little things that you looked for when you were, like, reading everybody's pieces? Uh... I mean, I, I wanted them to be relatively original ideas, and I, they had to be really well reported and, uh, you know, hopefully well written too. I mean, I think that the internet is, you know, there's content, you know, coming out of people's ears. There's too much stuff out there. Um, and, you know, the only things that stand out to me are, you know, beautiful writing and and new information um so that's what i you know i wanted the stories to be enjoyable and to teach people something right. just like recite google facts so right. um i think the the quote-unquote beautiful writing is is pretty subjective and and really really rare and i wouldn't say we hit that all that often you know i just i, I don't think we had people that I would put in that category but I think the information we hit a fair amount of times we had people that really um, are good reporters and, and worked hard to uncover information and sources and um, I mean I guess the third thing would be like the voice of the, the player and that's another thing we had people that were really good at that could just get get folks to, to open up you know so yeah. um, I mean that's what I that's what I, I strove for really was, you know, let's, let's get to know the subject, let's, let's teach something. Like we wanted, we wanted our stories to be, you know, what the smart sports fan talked about at, when they were at the bar with their friends. Like, right. Hey, I read X, you know, and I don't know how often we, we pulled that off or if we did, if we did write it, did people see it? I mean, I think we were always kind of an odd fit at a place that, you know, was built on, again, like shitty traffic chasing and and, and then really good social content. Bleacher Report's amazing at, at social media, but, you know, oh, now we're going to drop this beautifully written story about women's soccer concussions or... Um, you know, social justice or Tyler, you know, heroin overdose. Like, we were a weird fit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that was my problem, but ultimately, I think, again, 
we were expensive and if they're not if that doesn't align with what they're trying to do just it just becomes a you know, not a, not a great fit. Right. And to go back on kind of what you said about um, kind of getting to know your, your subjects and players and athletes that you're interviewing, like what type of questions like would you ask them in order to get them to open up? Obviously trying to create some dialogue beforehand and a conversation beforehand, but like what were some of like the questions that you would ask them during some of those shoots? Um, well, I didn't do them. I mean, I, right. I one story of Bleach Report in four years, and, and I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty hands off on the execution process. Like uh, I, my biggest influence was at the beginning was deciding what stories people were going to pursue. But once they were um, once they were assigned, you know, I left that up to the to the writer and to some degree the story editor you know i was like the big picture person right and we had a couple editors that you know kind of held the writer's hand through the process and then the writer's the one that's out in the field and you know they have a variety of of strategies that you know it's it's kind of a personal process there's no you know right or wrong way to do it um and when I was at Slam for many years and did write a lot, um, I don't know, you know, the journalism wasn't really the priority. It was as much making sure we got a great photo shoot and, like, you know, keep it light. Like, I kept it light, and that that always works the best. But the, the bar for a BR Mag story or, or most journalism outlets is a little higher than a Slam story. So the approach I used for Slam, I wouldn't necessarily use elsewhere, but... Slam it was like keep it fun, talk about shoes and yeah. car cars and, and music and stuff and not not be too serious because we weren't trying to publish really serious stuff. But but Bleach Report is like Bleach Report magazine we were trying to do you know, pretty pretty serious stuff and, and I, I you know, that was up to the writer of how they wanted to pursue yeah. that. So, making that move from Slam to Bleacher Report, like, what was your um, your goal there when you made that move? Just, I mean, it was a lot more money. It was yeah. a much more well-known place, and it was a chance to influence content on all sports. You know, I love basketball the most. If I had to do one sport, I think basketball has the most, like, culture attached mm-hmm. to it. But... Love baseball, football, soccer, golf, hockey—you know, like so. The chance at BR to, to help work with people covering everything was was really exciting. So, kind of money and reputation and yeah. multiple multiple sports. And I've been at Slam basically since college, and it was like. If I don't leave soon, maybe I'll never be able to work anywhere else. <laughs> right, right. So going back to the way beginning, I kind of wanted to touch base. Is every like for me personally, like growing up in Jersey, first Yankee game I went to, immediately went home and wrote about it, like just on a piece of paper. Like what, what's kind of your inspiration behind uh, writing and wanting to get into journalism in the first place? Um, I mean, it was it was probably like mid high school you know I was obsessed with playing sports um, and I loved you know the newspaper and Sports Illustrated and you know maybe 12 to 15 like my dream I would have said oh I want to 
be an athlete. Um, but once you kind of like get out of the neighborhood and then the town and you start to play travel sports or high school sports and you, you know, if you're, if you're smart, you, you know, you realize where you fit in. And I realized where I fit in was never going to go past high school. You know, I just wasn't big enough, fast enough, you know, willing to put in the work needed to, to make it as an, as an athlete past high school. And I was like, well, you know, the one subject I always do well in is English. I love reading. I love writing. I'm going to stay in sports by, by writing about it. And, you know, again, yeah, that was probably ninth or 10th grade. I, I made that kind of official dream and never really looked back. I worked at the high school paper, worked at the college paper from my very first day on campus. And got to work at the Washington Post my senior year. And, you know, I was on my way. So who do you think was kind of like an influence for you, like wanting to work uh, in journalism, whether it was to write, audio work, writing books, obviously, like who, who was kind of like the uh, uh, the turning point for you when it came to everything, like whether it was in college or right after school? I mean, I, it was myself. Like, yeah, I, I didn't, I mean, any, any article I wrote, any Sports Illustrated that came in the mail, any newspaper that I picked up, they all influenced me because I enjoyed them so much and I just I just wanted to, to do it. I mean, I had favorite writers here and there and, um, you know, there was an editor at the Daily News that was helpful to me and the guy that hired me at Slam was helpful, but um, that was more advice and, and guidance, uh, which everyone needs, but I didn't... Yeah. The inspiration entirely came. There was no one that inspired me to be a, a sports writer. I, I just inspired myself. Right. And I know you, you've written a few uh, books. Like, for you, what's the overall process like? Because I myself one day hope to write something about some story, whether it's autobiographies or just a story in general. Like, What, what was the overall process of, of writing, editing, and even publishing a book that you feel would sell? I mean, I... I haven't quite, I mean, I've done three that are all kind of different and none, none are ultimately, I don't know. I mean, I, I did one about NBA stars that was just a, a handoff from the slam editor. It was just a yeah. hundred write-ups. Um, it was kind of cool, but um I don't know, I was just paid a flat fee and I had very little like creative control, so I just, that was just uh, interesting. Then the Cyclones book was like awesome, incredible reporting, um, you know, spent a whole summer going to games and, and interviewing people, um, I, had a, I had a real agent for it, it was kind of her idea of the book, but we weren't able to get it to a real to a commercial publisher. It was only published by NYU Press. Um, they did a nice job with it. It's been taught in some college courses, but it made no money. It didn't sell at all. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you talk purely like pay per hour, I would have made much more money working at McDonald's. I mean, there was nothing right. smart about it business-wise, except that I could say I wrote a book. Had that been with a real publisher, who knows? And then the last one was the sneaker book with Slam. Fun, pretty easy, just writing about shoes. 
Um, but that that was with a beautiful publisher, Rizzoli Coffee Table Books, like literally one of the classiest publishers in the world. But they want they didn't really care about Ben Osborne. They wanted to use Slam and Kicks logos. So Slam was really the, the on paper the author. So similar to the first book, I just got paid a flat fee. That book has done really, really well, but the royalties all go to, they go to Slam, they don't go to me. So I haven't, you know, kind of 0 for 3 in terms of like publishing that uh, that was financially rewarding or, or really commercial rewarding other than the, the Slam one. Um, so it's really hard. I mean, it takes, yeah. it's just not a, it's really neat to tell people you wrote a book and to hold it in your hand. Um, and and I suppose that you know I never did the self-publish, which I also respect. But that one is like literally anyone could do it. So at least they were all by publishers. Um, so that's all neat and, and maybe helped my career reputation-wise. But um, I just tell anyone that's thinking about it, like don't do this for the money because there's. Yeah. yeah. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of books published each year and a handful of authors that, you know, drive any type of type of sales. So right. it's more, you know, it's gotta be a subject you care a lot about and, and something you can kinda do on the side because it's not gonna it's not gonna pay your bills. Yeah. Uh, and on that topic, have you ever had any stories that you were passionate about that you would want to write on your own without any like buddy else involved? Like you said, you kind of like had no creative control over the other ones. Uh, well, I had control on the Cyclones one at least. Um, I mean, I have a few ideas. I'm kind of sifting through them, sifting through them now that I have some time. Um, I mean, my favorite player all time is is mark jackson and we've kind of become friendly over the years i think there's like something about fandom that i might toy with um i don't know yeah something something about uh, about being a sports fan i think but i need to hone in on it a little bit yeah would you ever want to uh, write anything other than sports, kind of more cultural, like on the music side or, or film or anything like that, or is it mainly sports for you? Uh, it's pretty heavy sport. I mean, I do love music, and I, I, I used to write about music for some publications that were affiliated with Slam. Um, so I would do that. I just think that, you know, by and large, you want, like, true experts and just, yeah. you know, I don't think many people know more about sports to me plenty of people know more about music to me I just like it and then film I had nothing to <laughs> I mean I like a good movie like yeah. film, but I, there's there's mo- many many famous movies I've never seen like I'm not a film nerd at all so right. sports and music I love but only one of them do I consider myself an expert on so right. I, I don't know you know I, I mean, maybe like, a, like doing a bio of a, of a music 
musician, they can just they can find someone else right. that knows it better. Right. What's the uh, like some of the more crazier stories that you kind of had to cover in your career? Just like from an overall team standpoint too, like you like really had to like focus on one thing, uh, whether like, you just like got pulled out of a meeting or something. Like, was there like specific stories throughout your career? Because there have been insane uh, sports stories, both good and bad, over the past couple of decades. Like, what were some of the craziest stories that you had to cover with your team? I mean. The- Three biggest that Bleacher probably, where there was like, you know, meetings called and texts on either weekends or nights, um, was, co- you know, the, the night the NBA season shut down this March 11th, you know, how are we going to react to that? Um, earlier this year, absolutely horrible was, you know, Kobe's passing um, out of the blue. You know, the NBA thing was like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday, not when we're normally having meetings. Kobe was a Sunday afternoon. And then my second year, 2017, when Kaepernick, like, kneeled and it took off this time and and people really started to cover it and and react to it. That was a Sunday, same thing. It was just like total scramble mode. So... I would say those are the three days I remember most at, at Bleacher. And then Slam, I would say, was the was the lockout because, like, in 2011, um, not only as fans, but it basically felt like our own survival um, hinged on it. Um, you know, we covered the NBA. We were We've done a couple issues with with no NBA to speak of, and it was just you know not a good look for us. So that that one that one was almost the most personal. Like yeah, I mean look, COVID has ended up hurting Bleacher Report, but it's still much bigger than us. Um, Kobe, same thing, just tragedy. Colin Kaepernick, just a, a you know. A, uh, interesting commentary on our country, but all of those were like not direct to Bleacher Report. The NBA lockout, like if it hadn't been solved in 2011 and they, they saved the season, like who knows? Like Slam might not have survived. So that one was like super intense, and like the celebration when they came to an agreement was yeah, it was pretty amazing. Wow. Um, so that, that, those are the ones that that come to mind. And when kind of writing pieces on those, like, all three kind of touchy subjects in their own way, like, is there, like, a certain game plan going in as writers? Like, there's certain things you can say, certain things you can't say, or did everybody kind of have free range when writing stuff? At Slam, we didn't really give a shit up. We were just happy. Yeah. We didn't really have to present a kind of balanced journalism. I think uh, Kaepernick... Uh, we were very firmly on on his side, and I think presented it that way. No one asked us to. I'm sure we had readers that didn't like our policy, but but we had a lot of freedom there and could be basically as pro cap as as we wanted. Um, Kobe. Um, 
you know, I mean, for for his basketball, we could you could say whatever you wanted as a person. You know, there's sensitive things about his story, so we did try to be careful about like, right. you know, sainting him as a as a human. Um, and we have Bleacher Report has like a bigger copy editing staff than than Slam certainly did. So there was some back and forth around some Kobe stuff, um, and then. I mean, COVID just like be smart, basically, and and um, you know, I wouldn't. I mean, just report facts, you know. Yeah. That would be that would be the that would be the mandate there, which should be obvious, but but there seem to be outlets that can't even live up to that simple right. thing. But um, you know, the, that's how those those things went, went down, I would say. In all three of those cases, you said, uh, uh, obviously, the Kaepernick and then Kobe were both on weekends, both on Sundays. Like, what was the situation there? Were you guys all home? Everybody had to meet up? Like, what what went on during those those times? Yeah, like, we, I mean, there, we, had, we had shift workers 24-7 for breaking news. But yeah. all the things that I spoke about, yeah, we needed, like, leadership, uh, you know, meetings. So it was just texts from people you don't normally hear from on the weekend or you know sweet you know bleacher report runs like pretty exclusively on g suite so just like set up hangouts and you know we're meeting at 10 30 tonight or three o'clock on a sun you know just drop everything and um i mean you know i can't remember i happen to be free of, of course if you're not available at a time you're not normally working you know, no big deal, but anyone that was, uh, you know, and you're working in internet journalism, like, you know, you're basically technically working 20, you know, you got to be prepared 24 hours a day, and yeah. we were, and, you know, it was just a place that, I think Bleach Report did always get that right, um, where... You weren't asked to kill yourself on a day-in, day-out basis, you know, log off early if you're not busy, like, they weren't strict, there was no hours officially, but whenever something happened, you know, you would be amazed, like, everyone was just ready to rock and get get on their computer and, and be a grown-up, so, yeah. um, you know, none of those were, were fun stories other than arguably the end of the lockout, but... Um, I was always impressed with the, the professionalism of of the people I I worked with, and and that's certainly what I would always aspire to of people who work for me. I don't want you killing yourself. I want you to have a life. But when it's time to get serious, whatever time of day or week that is, you know, yeah. you got to be ready. Now, on that topic, as editor in chief, were there any people that you had to deal with specifically that were quote unquote unprofessional in that sense? I mean, Slam had some unprofessional stuff because we were using kids, yeah. and, you know, not paying people and giving people an opportunity, and some took advantage and some didn't. But no, at Bleach Report, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that it was really a thing. Like nothing, like really stood out to you in that sense. Mm, no. <laughs> For you. Uh, at, at the the level you got to in journalism, I kind of wanted to get your take on, like, 
I guess like in your own pursuit of doing what you wanted to do, do you feel like looking back now that you kind of like sacrificed anything huge in your life to get there? Or do you feel like right now, like you're in a good place with everything, both professionally and personally, like kind of having that balance? I think you got to ask me in six months. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, I wouldn't really trade it. You sacrifice a lot. Like it's not, yeah. a, it's not a, there's plenty of jobs in the world where you, where you punch a clock in the morning and then you punch it at night. You go home, you don't think about it till the next day. On one hand, that sounds so boring and unfulfilling. On the other, it sounds so refreshing. Yeah. Because work is work and life is life and, and you keep them separate. I've never had that in my life. I've never not cared about the work that I was doing, cared deeply about it, checking emails all the time, checking my phone constantly, you know, and it, it didn't feel like work right because i loved it but there's no you know being on the beach in greece and like answering work emails you know like there's no uh there's just no dividing right line and and you know uh so i've I, I've sacrificed being present for plenty of like personal moments because I was distracted by what's happening in the sports world. I've been rewarded for it. It's been fun. Um, and I, I say asking in six months because if I'm again being rewarded for it, shit, I'd, I'd rather get paid handsomely to care about sports. Um, and it's like if I can't do that anymore, maybe it would feel like, like a waste. But right. It's just not, it's just not something that you can, you can turn off. Right. And, and do you feel like, like, have there been moments where you've kind of been organized with it? Like you said, like, it's like no off switch. It's all the time. You're constantly trying to uh, uh, get that next thing. Like for you personally, like how do you stay organized with all of it, given everything else going on in your life? I'm just a very organized person. Yeah. Google, Google Calendar, Google Docs. They, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have special tricks. I yeah. just, I, I feel like in many ways I, I approach it the way someone at a, uh, at a more corporate, you know, it's a creative profession, but the organizational skills, uh, I think, transcend creativity and. and um, I don't know. I mean, that, that's just a personal preference of mine. You right. certainly have people that are more like artists and, and just want to work on their craft. Um, but even when I was just more writing for a living, I was still extremely organized about due dates and, and what I was getting paid and how many words that we were supposed to be. Like, that's just kind of my my nature uh, there's other people that probably have plenty of success doing it different ways but that was that was my approach i'm so boned i forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow and now it's sold out it's her freaking birthday oh dude she's totally gonna break up with you she's definitely gonna break up with me should have used tick pick wait what'd you say tick pick look oh whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude. what there are no hidden fees what'd you guys think i said Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.